Went to a funeral this weekend for my friend Aaron Worsham, who did not merely survive, she lived a very full life with ALS, with Lou Gehrig's, for almost three decades. It's just about unheard of. She continued to produce original art by moving her eyebrows. She made digital art. She wrote letters to the editor. She wrote letters to her son when she could no longer speak, who is now a handsome young man. She was, as they said, someone with the heart of a mountain and the spirit of an angel, and I will miss her. I'm tempted to get down about a lot of health information I have about my contemporaries. Um, however, I have to remind myself that on my wife's side of the family, there are three COVID babies. And then on my birth mother's side of the family, there are three on the way. So a lot of times it's all about perspective. Um, Daniel, this handsome young man, survives his mother and, um, and life goes on. And I have to remember that. Thanks. You know, as far as I can remember, I've been an athlete, and my brother's been an athlete, my dad was an athlete, my mother, my husband, me. So that's just part of my makeup. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hi, I'm Stuart Watson, and welcome to Man Listening. I was introduced to Marsha Lake by my friend Rachel, and oh, thank God she did. Uh, Marsha and Rachel roomed together uh, a bazillion years ago at Chapel Hill, and Marsha Lake became the first woman to have her jersey retired. Um, she was cutting edge. She was uh, she was right on the edge, an all-American. Uh, whose daughter Shay is now coaching at my alma mater. So I have all these different connections to Marsha Lake. And we talked, I was down in Florida, um, sitting on a balcony down on the Redneck Riviera, and she was on the other coast in Florida. And um, we just had a blast. I hope you enjoy it. A real, you know, just a real pioneer, uh, Marsha Lake. Where were you born? Dunn, North Carolina. Dunn, D-U-N-N. D-U-N-N. And that's Eastern, right? Yes. It's between but, Raleigh and Fayetteville. Uh, is it on I-95? It sure is. That's right. right. Yep, right on it. So halfway between New York and Florida. Pretty much, yep. Right. Pretty much. And hospital or home? Were you born? Hospital. Uh, what was the hospital? The Dunn Hospital back then. It was just a Dunn Hospital. And it's been through many iterations since then. My mother was born in that hospital. So uh -huh. it's probably torn down by now. But, but So for how many generations did your family live in North Carolina? Starting with my, well, oh, I don't know. I think forever. My, my grandparents were all from North Carolina. And their parents were from North Carolina. And that's as far back as I know. So I'm a North Carolinian. I'm a Tar Heel. I'll say, born and bred, as born they bread. say. Born and bred. <laughs> For your mother, your number what of how many? I'm the oldest of two. I've got a younger brother by 26 months. Um, he went to Duke. I went to North Carolina. He was on football scholarship, and he's four inches shorter than I am. It just about killed me. And your parents pulled four? Well, when Duke played North Carolina, they wore white and sat on their hands. <laughs> Seriously? Would they sit on the home side for Duke or the they home? They would sit on, if it was football, they'd sit on the Duke side. If it was basketball, they'd sit on the Carolina side. Now, see, that's very, that's very politically very, correct, wasn't it? Exactly. And, and, and what are your feelings about Duke? Do you have mixed? I actually, that was my first choice. Uh, I, I was valedictorian and I applied to Duke and I got in. And back then, I graduated from high school in 1971, um, the tuition was $5,000. And that was astronomical, you know, and my folks just couldn't swing it. 
So I applied to Carolina and I got in Carolina and, and look what's happened by me getting into Carolina. So, uh, and my brother, like I said, got a football scholarship. So one at Carolina, one at Duke, but I loved Duke. I loved yeah. Duke. When you were little, your mama would describe you like when you were two years old as Marsha was so what? I, all I can remember her saying was that I was always so big and so active that when a traveling salesman came to the door when I was about one, I toddled up to the front door in my diaper and he said, what a nice fine son you have. <laughs> and, and mother goes, it's not a boy, it's a girl. And he said, with those shoulders. So, so I've always been bigger, stronger, that's, and I don't know my, why my brother was shorter and smaller, but my dad was 6'3". My mother was about 5'8". I'm 6'1". I don't know. My brother's 5'9". It just happened. So I've always been big and strong and headstrong. Yes. Were you a good student? I was a great student. Uh, I have a PhD in math. Wow. Uh, I, yeah. So I graduated first in my class in high school. I did well at Carolina. I was a graduation Marshall at Carolina. And when I was 50 years old down here in Florida, my husband worked in professional baseball until he retired and he did everything but the baseball. He ran the stadium, you know, beer, hot dogs, parking, tickets, everything. Um, and he was at the ballpark, you know, 18 hours a day. I'm like, well, I'm bored. I'm going to do something. So I, I looked into things uh, and the colleges around here and I said, I called my mother and I said, well, I've got to do something I'm bored with. I'm either going to get uh, go back and get a PhD or a black belt in karate. So about a week later, I called her back and I said, I think I'm thinking about that black belt because PhD is going to be four years and it's a whole lot of money. She said, no, you can't do that. You've got to get the PhD because I've already told my bridge club. So, <laughs> so I got a PhD. That my daughter's going to be the doctor. <laughs> that, yes. Oh, yes. That was that was the whole point. So, yeah, so that's, and I've been teaching now for 43 years. I started teaching, Shay's 43, and I started teaching when she was maybe four months old. What sports did you play in school, in high school? Well, back then, the only sport for women in Dunn High School was basketball. Um, later on came softball, track, all that, but we didn't have, we didn't even have a soccer team, men or women. It's just a little small school. So all that I could play was basketball. I went into the seventh grade. Um, I'm a September baby, so I was young for my, for my grade. I went in seventh grade at five foot four in September, and I came out at five foot 11 in May. Oh, so in nine months, yeah, I grew seven inches. And the, the, that school, that elementary school was beside the high school, and the basketball coach could look across during – playground period and he saw all these people except for this one girl and he said who's that you know and so I started playing basketball with the girls high school team in the seventh grade I couldn't play in the games uh, but I played with them so by the time I was a freshman I was really good already because I almost had two years experience and I, I did very well with what I could do there there wasn't much more that I could do but um, I did you know big east whatever you could do and the scholarships were not available for women at that time in college. My senior year in college, 1975, North Carolina awarded their first women's basketball, women's scholarship uh, to uh, Cami Timberlake. I'll never forget her name. And she was a tennis player and she had bursitis for four years. So they should have given me some money, don't you think? Amen. <laughs> I'm on your side. I know. <laughs> so you... Tell me about the game. I started playing in the fourth grade in the armory. They had a little city league. At that time, um, you girls had three dribbles. You could only dribble the ball three times. There were six players, two on one end that were forwards, where, you know, our offense, two on the other end that were guards that did nothing but pay, play defense. My mother was one of those, by the way, at Dunn High School. She played defense her whole career. And then there were two roving forwards, which would go on both ends. So I was always a roving forward. So when the game changed from six players to five players, it didn't really change much for me because I was used to going on both ends anyway. But, you know, we, we didn't have the three-point line. We didn't have the 30-second clock. It was, it was quite different then. But 
as we moved on into college, they changed, actually it was after college, they changed the ball from a men's ball to a smaller women's ball. They put in a three-point line. I remember I was at Connecticut at one of Shay's games and she was there from 96 to 2001. And Ann Myers Drysdale, okay, she married Don Drysdale, but Ann Myers played at UCLA and she was three years behind me. We actually played against them in a tournament, but she was the announcer at this game and she wanted to interview me during the game and she goes uh do you think the game has changed since we played i go oh god <laughs> yes oh my god and you know three-point line 30 second clock smaller ball you know that and she goes well i just didn't think it changed that much i'm like wow because it really has changed and now and you couldn't touch anybody now do you see how they body up the physicality of the game even in the women's game if you brushed by somebody and touched them it was foul so yeah. it has changed a lot, yeah. I was the tallest person in my school, except for two guys in the whole school. And the women, I remember my senior year, the women's team, the girls team was 20 and two and the boys were two and 20. And so we who, were, got, who got more headlines in the Dunn newspaper? Oh yeah, we got headlines. And it was, it was almost embarrassing for the guys because the girls played and then the guys played Tuesday night, Friday night. And for the girls' games, the stands will be packed. Game's over. Everybody leaves. The parents stay for the guys' game. <laughs> Very few uh, spectators. Oh, my word. Yeah. So did you all win, like, a state championship? They didn't have that back then. Had your parents gone to college anywhere? Uh, my dad went to – actually, he, he went to Carolina uh, for a semester and played football, and my grandmother wouldn't have it, so he quit and came home. My mother went to UNCG for a semester and they ran out of money. So really I, my parents had less than a year of college each. What should I know about your mom and dad? My dad, I'm gonna cry. My dad was one of the finest men I have ever met in my life. He was, everybody that knew him loved him. He was a gentle giant. He was wise, he was humble, uh, he was honest. I tell people that now, I said, I had hoped that I would that from my dad, I would get humility. I would get wisdom. Instead, I got his big ears, okay? Uh, <laughs> my mother was not a happy person. Uh, and how the two of them got together, I don't know. But she was, she was tough to live with. And she, was, she pushed me hard. She, no, I didn't need to be pushed. It was just not a good situation with my mother. But my father was completely fantastic. My brother will agree with everything I'm telling you. So, and they um, stayed together? They sure did. Wow. They sure did. Yeah. So it's one of those marriages you can't quite figure out, but it Well, I said to Daddy one time, I said, Daddy, my, he says, I know, but I love her. I go, all right, if you know what you're getting <laughs> into. Okay, but whoo, she's something. Yeah, there's no explaining love. No explaining, sometimes. exactly. No explaining. <laughs> so you go off to Chapel Hill, and what was women's basketball like at Chapel Hill in 1970. 71, 72, my freshman year. I played for four years and I had four different coaches, if that tells you anything. And pretty much the coach of the women's basketball team until maybe the last year was the, the woman who chose the shortest straw at the physical education meeting at the beginning of the semester. <laughs> That's the truth. There were, there were coaches that came to me at a timeout and said, Marsha, what are we going to do? You know, oh, how do my we handle word. It? Yeah, it was, it was bad. We were good. At, it's interesting. We only played about 15 games, and they didn't start until January. Um, we ended up being a really good team by the time that I was a senior. But the, my senior year was the only – it was after that that the NCAA took over women's basketball. So we were in the NCAIAW. Okay, which was a women's league, and there wasn't a national championship for us then. So we just played, and my senior year, at the end of the season, we were invited to the women's NIT in Amarillo, Texas, a postseason tournament, because there wasn't another postseason tournament. And uh, we ended up playing the, the big wigs of women's basketball, which I knew about, but they were in the middle of the U.S. or UCLA, you know, and um, – that was first, the only time I ever flew in my whole college career. The only time oh, I ever my flew. my word. And that's something. And that's something. I, I was on the 1973 World University Games team. Uh, I was a US, um, on the U.S. team, and we had a tryout. 
and our first trial was in Ottumwa, Iowa, end of the earth. First time I'd ever been on an airplane. And to tell you a funny story, this is terrible. So don't you dare put this in the podcast. <laughs> we were Hold over. Hold on now. Day. Now that's, this is the one thing that's got to oh go. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, I mean, I, I know geography, but I've never been in a plane. So I'm flying from Raleigh to Chicago to Ottumwa. And we're flying over what I didn't know. It was the Great Lakes. So I'm looking out and there's water. And there's water and there's water and there's water. And I'm like, this pilot's taking a wrong turn. We're over the ocean. Maybe I should go up and tell him. <laughs> did you honestly want to tell him? I did. I'm sitting there going, I, I wonder if I should do it. And of course, that was, you know, 1972. So, wow. but uh, yeah, that's how dumb I was about, but I, I never flown. And how, so there was, was there any such thing as a, um, Olympic level for women's basketball? Okay, uh, I was a dummy, but uh, in 1973, this team that I was talking to you about, we had a Pan Ams game team. We, we, we and, um, and pretty much as a lot of countries back then, it was the same team that went to the Pan Am games, that went to this, that went to that pretty much. Um, especially for the Russians, they used exactly the same team. But uh, there was a Pan Am team in 72 I was invited by letter by letter to try out the summer after my freshman year and um so I went to Iowa I tried out uh they cut it down to 12 from 66 to 12 then the next summer of 73 was when the world university games were held in Moscow and they took the 12 of us plus six more to Boston to Northeastern University to try out again in a month's time in a training camp to whittle down to 12 and we flew from there to Russia not until 1976 was women's basketball in the Olympics. And a lot of those same players that I played with in 73 were on that first Olympic team in 76. And I wish that I had been smarter. Oh, I was out of college by then and I was in love, you know, and I was married and I didn't want to go play basketball. And now I wish that I had. I mean, a, a good example, Pat Summit was on that team with me in uh, 1973 and she was on the team in 76. Wow. Yeah. And so this means I got to ask you how you all did, because I'm a dummy. I don't do my homework. How did you all do against other collegiate teams? How did the, did you call them the Lady Tar Heels? I mean. Okay. Are you talking about the Carolina team? The Carolina team. How did you all do? In yeah, that? we did really well. We did really well. Uh, we would lose. I remember my senior year, we lost one game until we went to that tournament in San Antonio. And it was against Elon and KL was coaching Elon. Oh my word. Isn't oh my this fun? Word. This is amazing. <laughs> this is history is what it we're is, talking it, about. It is. Yeah. That's where she started. She went from Elon to NC State. And her sister, Susan Yao, because it was like four Yao girls. I think that's right. Debbie's one of them. She used to be the AD at NC State. Um, she may be at Maryland now. I don't remember, but there was Kay, two more sisters, and then Susan. And Susan's a year younger than I am. And Susan was on case team at Eline. Susan actually went to Trout for the World University Games team. She got cut. She's that good. She was great. But when Kay left and went to NC State, Susan went with her. And we played them wow. both there. Got beat there, too. <laughs> how did Elon or how did Kay Yao, how did they have your number? Yeah, it was just, it was old-timey basketball. It was double teaming. Ah. You know, that's, you know. We, I told you, my coach didn't know squat until pretty much my senior year. Now, the U.S. team against, in the international world, the Russians, everybody else, how were they during that year? We were better than everybody except the Russians. It's amazing because I didn't know. I mean, I'm from North Carolina. I've been playing in North Carolina. That's all that I knew. So we go to Russia. You know, uh, we had pool play. We happened to get in the pool with Russia. So we lost to Russia, but we advanced because the top two teams advanced. And we go through all the brackets and we ended up playing them in the finals. Now in pool play, we lost to them by 70. Oh yep. my word. Their center, you can look her up, uh, Simonova. Her last name was Simonova. She was seven foot two. Seven two. Oh my word. Okay, this is 1973. So I'm thinking, oh my God, Ulyama. Ulyama Simonova, seven foot two. Their forwards, now she was a big 
she looked like Lurch from the Adams family. She really did. She was a giant. So she wasn't very mobile, but she didn't have to be. She could stand in the middle of the lane. They threw it to her. She could hit the shot. But their forwards were 6'10 and 6'8, and they were long, slim girls that could do anything. And the point guard is Ovechkin's mother. Oh, my word. Alex Ovechkin's mother, five foot seven, was their point guard. So when they walked down to the court to warm up, they did it by height. So here comes the five foot seven girl. I'm going, it's going to be easy. And then it just went just like this until the seven foot two. Oh, it's crap. Step all the way up. Yeah. yeah. And they beat us. They beat us pretty handily. Um, which we knew, you know, we knew we were going to get killed. There's just no way you can play against people like that. But the next summer, um, we're in North Carolina. We hear that the Russian national team is coming to tour the U.S. during the summer of 74, and they're playing different AAU teams all over the country. And so KL wanted to form a, a team from the ACC uh, to play them at Elon College when they came through this area. And I was the, the captain of the team because I was the only one that had international experience. And when I started following the team as they were touring the US, I'm looking, I'm going, that's the team I played in Russia last summer. There's Uyama, there's the 16 girl, there's, you know, uh, Ovechkin. And I'm like, we're gonna get killed. So the girls on the team, we, you know, we had Wake Forest, NC State, Duke, we had a, a nice group with Kay Yao being our coach. And they're coming in for our one week of training camp. Oh, we're going to, I go, we're going to get killed. They go, you think so? I said, we're going to get killed. They said, well, if, if we lose, how much do you think we're going to lose? But I said, if we lose by less than 50 points, I'll, I'll be surprised. And they go, 50 points. I think we lost by 72. <laughs> it was just, they were that good. They were that big, you know, and they had played together for years. And we, we played all- together for a week. Well, you are talking about the difference between a gathering of the best collegiate players in the U.S. and a state-sponsored team. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah. They're, they're a state team, you know. That- You're exactly right, because when we went over there, uh, we had, every team had their own guide, and we had just the loveliest little man, and he would, so he would tell us about things, and he said, if you're um, recognized as a young person as being athletically gifted, you're pulled out of the bunch and you're putting this school over here that all they do is basketball and academics. So you're trained from an early age to do this. So yeah, you're right. It's a state team. Right. Um, Well, how about the, was the physicality of the game different when you play against European teams or against the Soviets? It was refereed a little differently because, as I told you, in college, you couldn't even brush by anybody. It's funny. It's really funny if you could see any films of us because you'd stand in the lane, your defense, you stand in the lane and you do this. I mean, there's no getting up against them and pushing them. And you didn't do that or you get called for a foul. You know, there was some bodying up in, in international play, but they didn't have to because they were so much taller than we are, than we were. Just, you know, we could barely get off a shot. Almost every shot that we'd made was blocked. But we had a loyal following. I had a couple of professors that really followed us, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, nothing like it is now. But we were still, it's mostly later we were recognized. I'm in the Order of the Golden Fleece, which is a big deal at Carolina. Um, I got my jersey retired, but that happened in 1995. Is it true that you were the first woman to have her jersey retired? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sylvia Hatcher was the coach that made that happen. I mean, nobody was even looking at doing that until Sylvia Hatchell came through and said, we need to recognize the women that, you know, paved the way for the team as it is now. So she went back and, and we had the first big ceremony, which I was a part of. There were four of us that had our jersey. We're really an honored jersey. Um, the retired jerseys are only for the National Player of the Year. We've only had one or two of those. So your jersey hangs where? In Carmichael. Okay. And it's the first women's jersey of any sport to hang up I there? I don't know. Well, at that time, the only jerseys in Carmichael were basketball. Okay. So there weren't the other sports yet? No. Neither. Volleyball uses that, and I think maybe gymnastics uses Carmichael now. But at that um, time, it was only – got a good story. My I husband wanted- and I got married. My husband and I got married – we dated at Carolina in 1972 and got married in 1997. It took him a while to, to come around, but I got him after 25 years. 
Uh, <laughs> but at the time that, that we were together at Carolina, the men's basketball team played in Carmichael as well. So the men's jerseys were at one end and we we're on the side. Since then, the men's jerseys have been moved to the Dean Smith Center, of course. But anyhow, um, while I, after we got married, I had to finish my 20-year tenure at Federal Tech, where I was teaching to get retirement. So we were married for 14 months before I could move to Florida and join him where he was doing uh, the Florida Marlins um, spring training down here in Brevard County. So I'm in North Carolina. He's in Florida. Uh, opened the newspaper one morning, and it said Duke students break into Carmichael and steal Michael Jordan's jersey. Now, they had to be cat burglars to get up there, first of all, okay? So I called my husband and I go, Roy, guess what was in the newspaper today? He said, what? I said, the Duke students broke into Carmichael and they stole Michael and my jersey. And he said, you're right. <laughs> I go, okay, just Michael. But I thought it was a good story. <laughs> he didn't buy it. <laughs> why was yours the first jersey to be retired there were other women on the team what was it about what all were Americans. your numbers all american uh, so were you the only all-american on the team or were there several yeah. yeah i was the first in the whole program the second one was bernie mcglade who is now a an athletic director for some a commissioner for some conference a smaller conference, but she's, and she was four years behind me, so I didn't play with her. And then there's right. since been maybe five or six. And give me a sense of some stats. Give me some of your numbers that made you an All-American that year. Oh, can you hold on a second? Oh, I'll sure. Right. Hold on. Yeah, I got time. This is my basketball card. She led the squad in scoring with 17 points, 9.8 rebounds per game. So 17 and 9.8, but I, we were, we played halves, I think 20 minute halves. Yeah. And like I said, we played maybe 15 games. So it wasn't that much, but um, I was pretty much named All-American when we went to the San Antonio tournament. We played the best teams in the country. We played four games and the four games were decided by a total of, no, three games decided by a total of four points. We were lost there any overtimes? I don't, believe were. I don't believe there were, but they were that oh my close. Word. So for us to play these really, back then, the women's teams that were in Texas were huge. JFK, and they were, where were they from? Oklahoma. But they were big. UCLA was big. So there was nothing on the East Coast, anything. So the fact that we could hang with them was pretty big. We were pretty excited about that. Would the men and women travel in tandem to games would you all oh, absolutely not absolutely not because we the only time by the way like I said we never flew except that last game that I went to the men had a bus we had station wagons <laughs> you had and a, a the caravan old, yeah station wagons and they had the three seats and the back seat was turned around remember I oh, get yeah. car sick so I couldn't sit in the back seat because I would get car sick traveling to a game the only game I can ever remember us playing uh, before the men played was a game at NC State. So they made that, it was at, at um, what was Reynolds Coliseum, and Bobby Jones was on the men's team. And I just thought he was the finest thing. He was such a nice guy, but he was, oh, he was such a great basketball player. And the men's team came and sat in the seats at the, behind the goal, our goal, for the first half. I was a complete mess. I was tripping over lines, not even people. I would be tripping over lines because Bobby Jones is watching me play. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only time we ever played with him uh, in, in the same gym at the same time. Story I shared with the Daily Tar Heel, with, no, with our alumni magazine, UNC alumni magazine. They sent out a request for any stories about, the, um, about Carmichael since they were redoing it or something. And I said, oh, I've got a great story. The, we played there as a women's team for the first time my freshman year. Before that, it had been in this dinky little gym behind the swimming pool. So uh, we didn't have a locker room. And at halftime, we would go to the stairs that lead up to the concourse and we'd sit on the stairs and we'd have halftime. The steps happened to be right beside the door to the men's locker room. 
And the men always practiced in the afternoon before we played. We played at 7.30. So we're sitting there having halftime and the door opens to the men's locker room and out walks Dean Smith. And he goes, well, what are y'all doing here? And we said, we're having halftime. He said, well, why aren't you in your locker room? We said, we don't have a locker room. He said, I'll hook you up. So he let us use their locker room for our halftime after that. Oh, we thought we had died and gone to Blue Heaven. Well, that's lovely. So, he was lovely. But he, didn't, he wasn't even aware. No, he wasn't aware. Nobody knew. You know, and that was our first year even allowed, being allowed to play in that gym. Forget about Title IX. You didn't even have a place to Yeah, go. yeah, yeah. And speaking uh, of Title IX, that was my sophomore year, 72. And um, I continually got called into the office of the AD, which was Homer Rice. And because Don Shea, who was the sportscaster in Raleigh, would call me and say, Marcia, um, I hear that y'all don't have enough basketballs for every girl to have a basketball. I go, yes, right. And what else? Well, you know, we don't all have sweatsuits. And we don't have a locker room. And he'd say something on TV, and then, and then I'd get a call from Homer. I'd say, Marcia, can you come to my office? And he'd say, you shouldn't say things like that. I said, well, then fix it, because it's true. I'm not, I'm not going to him and saying, complaining, but I'm not saying anything that's not true. So I look back at it now, and I look at the fact that Shay is where she is. You know, and it's done all that she's done, and that maybe I played a little teeny role way back when in, in making a little something get started. You have this daughter when? How long after you're married? How close old? To, close to three years after I graduated, Shay was born uh -huh. and um, ended up getting divorced quickly because of not good things happening with my husband. Uh, so she was young. I go back to Dunn with a, an infant going, what am I going to do now? You know, I got a college degree, but what am I going to do now? And one of my mother's and father's best friends said, well, I'm the dean of instruction at, at Federal Tech, and I'd love for you to come teach for us, but you got to get a master's degree. So I went to Campbell. They had just opened their master's program. I got a master's degree going at night and teaching in the daytime, and I had a babysitter that I dropped Shay off. Um, and then uh, I stayed there for 20 years. And then, like I said, I got here, Roy's busy with baseball. I'm the age of 50. And I say, well, I, I believe I'm going to go back and get a PhD. Um, I think part of the reason that I did that, I got the master's because I had to. You know, I, I had to have a job. I had to teach. I said I'd never teach. I'm in my 43rd year of teaching, so there you go. Um, but I didn't know if I could actually do a PhD. I didn't know if I had that ability, that smarts. So it was a challenge for me, especially at the age of 50. So I'm ridiculously proud of that. Did you know you wanted to be a mom? Did you always know you wanted to? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No question. no question. And when you found out you had a little girl, how'd you feel? I was, it was so exciting. Um, and people criticized me. Some people did in Fayetteville uh, saying, well, you're living vicariously through Shay. And I'm going, no, I actually did okay myself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Let me show you my this. card. Let yeah, me show yeah, my yeah. Y'all don't know card. this, but no. But it was so fun. I told a lot of people this. It's so fun to watch your child play your sport. That's really yes. neat. You know, because I know, I know what's going on. And I know, you know, the mental part of it and the physical part of it. So that's been so much fun. And she had it from the get-go. From the age of six, I took her to the YMCA for a little clinic. They were putting a leave together. I said, I didn't push her. I said, Shay, you want to play basketball? She goes, yeah. What do you like about basketball? I love a lot of sports. This is a sports house. So we, this sports on my husband's in there watching a baseball game right now. And we watched Phil win yesterday. You know, so we love sports. I really like the pace of basketball. I like the strategy. And because my husband was in baseball, I've learned that it's not as boring as I thought that it was because now I understand strategy and I didn't know strategy about baseball, but I know strategy about basketball. So it's been really fun watching, especially Connecticut, because, you know, they've just always been an elite team since Shay's been associated with them. So I can see what's happening in the timeouts and know why the changes are being made. But golly, it's fun watching basketball. I just, it's a, it's a beautiful sport. And I think it's more beautiful in the women's game. So Shea played at Connecticut? Yeah, she was an All-American. She was the MVP of the Final Four in 2000. Wow. And Connecticut has this powerhouse history in yes. women's basketball. Yeah. So right. she played there. Then she uh, tore her ACL five times. Hmm. 
So didn't end up playing in the WNBA. She got drafted, but she never got to play. Went to Pittsburgh to begin her coaching career, stayed there about six years. And then Gino called and said, I got an opening. You want to come and coach? She said it took me about 10 seconds to say yes. Mm. Um, and then she, you know, she said, this is my dream job. And unless the perfect job comes along, there's no reason for me to leave. And then Vanderbilt came by. So she is so happy, Stuart. She's, they've embraced her. The college, you see, I've never been to Vanderbilt. It's, it's fabulous. Yeah. Every bit of it. It's all fabulous. Pretend I'm from Mars and have never heard of the game of basketball. Give me a one-minute tutorial about what kind of strategies. It's not checkers and it's not chess. What, what is it that you notice? Well, obviously, the, the, the whole point is to get the ball in the basket. Yes. But if you're the other team, you want to keep them from getting the ball in the basket. So you've got those two forces against one another, and these two usually pretty smart coaches that see, oh, this player – is shooting lights out, so we're going to need to change our defense, you know, or we've got backdoor every time. Shea killed Tennessee. They beat Tennessee in 2000 for the national championship, and they killed them on backdoor. And Pat never stopped backdoor. Why wouldn't Pat Summit stop backdoor? But she didn't. You know, so I'm sitting in the stands thinking, why don't you adjust? So it's a game of, of runs, but also an offense versus a defense that is continually adjusting to try to stop whatever's happening. It's so fun to watch because it's continual adjustment. And and I is, love that part of it. And it is a game that has evolved. And yes. So, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is evolving. Still, yes. Did you ever coach basketball? I coached Jay when she was really little. And then when uh, she got into AAU in North Carolina, she was recruited by the number one team, which was out of Greensboro High Point. And she started playing with them 10 and under. And she played with them 10 and under, 11 and under, 12 and under, all the way till she graduated from high school. And it was the same coach in the same team. And I became one of the coaches there. So I coached AAU with her. And I would always mm -hmm. go with her in the summer. Pat Summit, I told, I called Pat um, when she was maybe in the eighth grade or something. And I said, Pat, this is Marsh, it's been a while. But I've got a daughter that's really, really good. And I would like for you to take a look at her. And she goes, yeah, all the mothers say that. I go, yeah, but all the mothers don't know like I know. So I would love for you to take a look at her and see what you think. She said, well, why don't you just bring her to camp during the summer and you can be one of the coaches at camp. So for many years, probably four or five years there, I took Shay and a bunch of her teammates to summer camp in Knoxville. And we did it in Chapel Hill as well. And um, uh, so I knew early on that Shay was going to be great. Uh, and and it, was, it was fun to watch her. Um, the other coaches like Pat and Sylvia, Sylvia offered her scholarship when she was a sophomore. Let me ask you some sexist questions. All uh, right. The other reverse sexist. Do women share the ball better than men? Do they get it as at every level as little kids? Mm -hmm. And then later on, well, none of the little kids want to. <laughs> okay. And some of the coaches, many of the coaches, as they're coming through middle school and high school, will have like a three-pass rule before you can shoot just because who gets the ball is going to shoot. I call it playground ball. And, call uh, it what? Playground ball. <laughs> Whoever gets the rebound is going to shoot at the other end. And that's one of the reasons that the NBA isn't high on my list to watch because there's just not a lot – until you get to the playoffs, in my opinion, there's just not a lot of sharing. Now, I've watched a lot of games recently with COVID – and I've really enjoyed watching the teamwork. And it's a lot better than it used to be. Who's your so, team? Yeah, I love Steph Curry. Oh, my gosh. I just love Steph Curry. I love and watching. Turned you into a Golden State? Yeah. Yeah, he has. He sure yeah. has. Yeah. The question is, do girls get that more than, let's say, high school boys? I don't know. I think maybe yes. I think they may be less selfish. I hope so. But then – a good coach will make sure that they pass the ball, you know, that it, that the best person takes the shot. So hopefully they'll get that. If they don't have it early on, they get it as they move up through the ranks by their coaches. And so now here's the million dollar question. Why is that nature or nurture? I think it's both. I think it's a girl thing, just, just the way that girls are. But like I said, a good coach will say, no, 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 no. That was a terrible shot. Why'd you shoot that shot? This person was open. 
And what we're really talking about is teamwork. We're talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. Not needing that's, the limelight. That's hard to teach too. It's like aggression. Shay was so good uh, early on because she was so aggressive and she had uh, court smarts. She had court smarts. And you can't teach aggression and you can't, can't teach court smarts. You know, and she had those. I hope that, I hope, good Lord, they can teach them because uh, I do think that women have a little leg up on that. Okay, so why? For me, it's just the type of person and athlete that I am. You know, I, I want to show you how great a basketball player I am. I can, I can beat up on anybody. You know, I, why would I do that? That's not part of the game. You know, and there have been a few times in Shay's collegiate career where she was tested. She got punched in the face by a little Hampton University guard that Shay was worrying the pee out of. Ugh. And she just got, she just reared back and punched her right in the face and loosened some teeth. And Shay just stood there and I could see her at the foul line clenching her fists, but she didn't retaliate. That was good. In my opinion, that was good. Did this young woman get kicked out? The... Nope, nothing, not even a flavor. Oh my word, because that's yeah. the other thing that I heard is that they call fouls far more readily in the women's game. Yes, they do. You don't get away with much of anything. But you also have your bad, badly officiated games too. Yeah, and when you have a badly officiated game and you're, let's say, in one of the front rows and you are not bashful, what is your response when you see a call like that? Like when you were watching that game, were you present for it or were you? Yes, watching? yes, I was there. When Shay was in high school, I was pretty vocal from the stands. Uh, now I'm mostly vocal to my husband. <laughs> you know, I, he and I are like, oh my gosh, did you see that? I can't believe that call. And, uh, but no, from, but from the stands in high school, yeah. There was some pretty bad calls and the referees in high school didn't know the rules. There's a couple of times that um, the rules were totally wrong. And I remember in one game, I was sitting behind the official scorekeeper who I knew because it was the same conference and we were at an away game. And the Shays coach put in uh, a player for a free throw, two free throws, put in a player, one free throw was shot. Then he pulled that player out and put in another one before the second free throw was shot. And it went on and then here comes halftime. And, and when that happened, I, I'm sitting behind the guy and I'm not really talking to him. I go, that's illegal. You can't do that. If you go in a game, at least one second's got to run off the clock before you can be removed from the game. That's it. And the same thing happened when Shay was called for charging and she wasn't given, you know, one step when you turn around with the ball. Anyhow, there are rules that I knew and I, and I said something and the scorekeeper went and told the referees at halftime and they came up and they looked at me and they tipped their hat to me. I went, I didn't want for you to know about it. I just knew that it was illegal. <laughs> they said, you got it right. I went, ooh. But you didn't show them up in front of everybody. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. And you're like, pull out a rule book and walk across the court. Right. Oh, no, no. And I was embarrassed at the, the scorekeeper, but he was an old man and we were buddies and they were everybody's buddies in Cumberland County. So we had a good laugh about it, but I'm like, oh, I didn't want you to tell me. When women coach women, there's not, I gather, a lot of chair throwing or a lot of chest bumping or a lot of, you know, in your face, right. flying kind of right. stuff. What is the difference and why in how you motivate young women who are, they need somebody to, to get their attention. What's yeah. the difference? I don't know. I think it comes from team leadership, from coaching and team leadership. Shay would always tell me because Shay would never be ugly to no matter what. And she, of course she got trash talked to all the time. And I asked her one time, I said, how do you handle that? She said, I just, out of the side of my mouth, I don't look at him. I go, look at the scoreboard. Look at the scoreboard. Just look at the scoreboard. Okay. End of story. Uh, if you have a child, a, a girl who is not great at athletics, but she's okay, as part of an overall well-rounded education, what do you gain from playing a sport in let's say junior high and high school, especially a team sport, as part of your education that you do not get if you go, oh, I'm no good at that, I quit. 
that's interesting because I have two daughters. My younger daughter still lives in Fayetteville, and I have a granddaughter who's 15 who's playing on the little basketball team there, and she's a mediocre player. I've been to a couple of her games. She's not never going to be a star, but she still goes. She still plays. She loves the team aspect. Uh, she gets the exercise out of it. I just, oh, I just think it's such a good thing. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the perspective from a person that sits on the bench the whole while. So I wouldn't know how to answer the question if I did all of this and I never got into a game. I uh, have always marveled at the walk-ons at Connecticut that will get 30 seconds to play at the end of a game, maybe. But they're there every day practicing their hearts out because mentally, physically, it makes them a stronger person. That's what I believe. You are in great shape. I know you're your college roommate, and she is in great shape. Yep. What's the secret? When I had my daughters and I was teaching at the community college in Fayetteville and raising children, there was no time for me. Uh, and that's fine. You know, that was my choice, and I was happy as I could be. But then when I got older and I thought, okay, I really should at least maybe go to the gym and do something – and all of a sudden, I'm feeling better. I'm sleeping better. My clothes fit better. Um, my whole life pretty much has been athletic. You know, as far as I can remember, I've been an athlete. And my brother's been an athlete. My dad was an athlete. My mother, my husband, me. So that's just part of my makeup. And when it's not there, I feel the emptiness that I should have filled from the workout all the way around, mental, physical, and so forth. And so um, I, I just thrive on, on the working out. It was funny when Rachel, um, I told her, I said, I'm going to run a half marathon. And she goes, she'll never do it. She said, if you do it, I'll run one with you. And I said, that's my challenge. I'm going to get my PhD and, and run a half marathon all in the same year. And I did so Rachel goes, okay, I'll do it. So, so I call up and go, okay, Rachel, I got my PhD and I just ran my first half marathon. Now you got to run one with me. She goes, oh crap, I didn't think you were really going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have found now, especially now when my children are grown, I work out every day. I'm getting ready to go walk five miles after I leave you. I can't run anymore because I messed up my knee, but I'm, I lift weights every day. And I just, I don't know, it's, it's mental, you know? I think it's really, really mental for me, but the mental part makes the physical part better. So it's a win-win. I love it. I love the fact that I'm still an athlete. If you miss a day or two of working out, can you tell? No, and, and you know, I've kind of researched it and talked to people in the know, and I really shouldn't work out every day. I should give my body a day to recuperate, and usually that's Sunday uh, I'll do. And it's, I don't work out as heavily as I did. I was running. At one point, I was running seven miles a day, and now I'm walking five miles hard but um it's, it's a different workout now but still I'm in great shape for my age so so I, I I can't really tell unless I miss a long period of time then I can tell what is your legacy I was there sort of at the advent of women's basketball coming to the forefront and now I'm reaping the rewards and my family, my children, my daughter, my granddaughter are reaping the rewards. And that's very satisfying for me to know that I was there in the beginning. And it wasn't the very beginning. My mother was there in the very beginning. Uh, but the, the changes in the game, and we've weathered all of that, and it's done nothing but get better. And, and I've, I've seen it happen. It's been so much fun to watch. Well, I so admire you. And I'm so grateful to you for taking time, you know, as a person who is a terrible, not even an athlete. You know, <laughs> I just so admire. There's also, there's a great beauty to the game. It must be said. There's yeah, it is. It is. That's what I said. I, the, the women's game is so beautiful. The passing, and probably my favorite part of the game is the passing. And that's not scoring. You got to score points to win, but the passing is just beautiful to watch in a ballet or any kind of dance performance, you see a choreographed flow of 
human bodies across the stage. They work together in concert, right? In basketball, you can only choreograph to a certain extent. You can't control everything because there's this element of chaos and randomness. Exactly. About by opposition. Nonetheless, when you sit courtside and see it, there's this beautiful, these beautiful arcs and angles and this beautiful, beautiful athleticism of people moving up and down the court, you know? And for me, watching what you just described, the adjustments, you know, we've got this play, but the defense did this, so we couldn't run the play exactly the way we had it programmed, but then we did this and somebody cut there, and there was this beautiful play that happened that wasn't even supposed to happen. I just love that part of it. This has been great. Yeah, thank you so very much. You're very welcome, it's a pleasure. And our mutual friend Rachel just texted me this morning that Marcia was uh, babysitting over in Nashville for, for Shay, for her grandbaby, and tripped and badly broke her leg, uh, like laid up in the hospital broken, um, and probably can't go back to Florida for some weeks. And so send up your thoughts and prayers for her. Um, she was in good spirits when I texted her this morning, and she said she's at Vanderbilt Medical Center. So, you know, uh, Shay has pulled some strings with the orthopedist, and she's 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 in good spirits anyway. So uh, fast healing, good health to you, Marsha, and thank you for your time. I, I can't wait to meet you face to face. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp-Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins & Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. A special shout out and a huge thank you straight from the heart to everyone who has supported Man Listening in whatever way you have from the very beginning. Thanks so much. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button and next week you'll hear to be able to make that time for each other, no matter how busy you are, what you have going on. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks.